Clive Holland Show with Tradeify, the job management software to help get your business on track. Make a life, not just a living. Try the free 14-day trial. Download the Tradeify app today. Rock on, podcasters. It's me, Clive Holland, from the Clive Holland Show on Fixed Radio. I would love it, love it, if you could tune in and catch me doing my thing Monday through Thursday, 2 till 4 p.m., on the planet's only radio station for builders, Fix Radio. On this week's podcast, I discuss the importance of diversity in our industry with Uma from Construction Helpline and Darcy Richards, one of the very few female brickies in the UK. I also went on to talk about tradespeople potentially having to work beyond retirement age with the CLC, as it was revealed 20% of tradesmen and women think they'll have to work past the state pension age. Finally, I asked about discovering animals on site holding up the jobs with ecologist Hugh Warwick and hearing your best stories and experiences. All in all then, another packed blooming podcast. Enjoy. Clive Holland on Fix Radio. You're listening to the Clive Holland Show with me, Clive Holland, and today we're talking diversity on site as our talk topic and what can be done to make sites more inclusive with only 4% of our construction workforce being made up by black people. Uh, we're now going to be joined by a friend of the show, Jason, uh, aka at Mr. London Plumber, uh, who is of black heritage and can tell us a little bit more about diversity on sites from his experience. Jason, first of all, thank Hi. you for joining us on the Clive Holland Show. And I'm still shocked in the 21st century we're talking about this, uh, but needs must. Uh, how are you, first of all? Yeah, I'm not too bad, Clive. I hope you're well as well. I'm good. I'm good, thank you. Yeah, so I think just um, having those statistics alone for us shows that um, it's not diverse as much as we would like it to be for whatever reason, but we can always make the difference when we've got the statistics, the numbers, whatever you want to call it, in front of us to be able to say, okay, we do need to have a little bit of a change here, isn't it? Because it might make some people feel uncomfortable at some points. It might make some people feel at ease, but... We're all living in the same world. We can't fly to anywhere else. We can't go anywhere else. So getting along with each other is always better for everybody. You know, people get to learn about each other when you're at work. The beautiful thing about work is you get to meet people from all walks of life who you've never met before. And that's what work does for you. It pays your bills, but it definitely educates you more about people. I think it's interesting. You know, as I say, it's, I'm amazed I'm still talking about this sort of thing in the 21st century. But uh, what are your personal mm. thoughts on diversity in our trade? And do you think there's enough? No, I don't feel there's enough diversity in the trade. Because if you look at the numbers of people, how many people are in there, it just doesn't make sense. Because it's not a fair medium. And everything is about equality. Equality means the same for gay people, um, a person that is brown, a person that identifies with being black, a person that identifies with being Hispanic. All these different races, just because it's a race, yeah, I don't think it should have to divide us in any type of way. There should be equalness. Once there's equalness, trust me, a lot of the tension which is in the atmosphere and around us as people from day to day, it goes because he's treating you just the same as me, mate. It's just simple. Yeah. I think I think the other thing to remember as well is I did a, a webinar very recently on this very subject and I said, I'd, I'd like it that we could actually see human beings rather than the colour of their skin. It, it's, it's just real sad. But I imagine a lot of people you work with are, are top tradespeople and, you know, great personalities. But do you ever feel like there's any any different treatment towards you because of the colour of your skin? Um, no, but it, no, I would say no, but um, it just depends on the circumstances. You know, you could go to uh, like a predominantly white area and I've never been watched like going to my van or had any problems or had someone call me, call me and say like, what are you doing out here? I've never had that personally, but outside that spectrum, we're talking further up London, further away from London and stuff like that. It's very difficult because you can see it. You see it online sometimes. That's the truth. I've seen it online. and I've been doing Instagram for a while, so I see it. So it's not like I don't see it. No. What I say to it, or if I turn a blind eye to it, is totally different, isn't it? Because, you know, you can't react to everything in life. I think it's education as well. It's education, educating the parents as well that are, that are giving some of these prejudices and passing them down to their kids. Uh, and that's, that's where most of it starts. I'll be honest with you. It does start yes. from things like that. You look at people's um, parents and how they conduct themselves sometimes. Like, 
you say to yourself, okay, cool, I can see why both of you two are just sitting in front of the TV swearing at the goggle box. Yeah. Both of you two are doing it. Do you know what I mean? You're allowing him to swear. He's picking up words. He's coming back with words what he doesn't know. Saying around uh, college kids or school kids, they've slapped him in the mouth. He said, like, why did you do that? You can't say stuff like that to people. No, it's not like exactly. that. You know, like, every generation is different. Every generation is going to be able to be more tolerant, more educated about history, where some of us wasn't before, and more understanding about the world, how it is today. It's going to change us as generations of people, but at the same time, we all have like a um, like a common plan, which is just to get along with each other and to get along with each other. Some of the 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 the, the problems which hold us back, speak about them and and put plans in place so we can work over that. You know, I've yeah. been at many workplaces, and the whole tree of command is just predominantly white. And I've said to the guy like, "Why is it like this, mate?" And he's like, "Oh, I don't know, mate." I said, "Well, don't you employ other people?" And he's like, "Oh, yeah, I do, I do, I do." But it's not shown in it by your employment, in it. And I think that. You can't hide something like that. So therefore, that's very that's very blatant in some point. Very but obvious. to some people, yes, yeah. because they can see that, you know, working your way up is going to be like, you're going to have to wait for my man to pop it or something. Do you know what I mean? That's yeah. the only how you're going to get up there. Even though you might have the skill set, even though you might be more than qualified, at some positions, for some of, I can say, some black plumbers and black engineers in the game, you've had to be overly qualified. Just, and that, that's, that's a... <laughs> That's a that's a that's a sure shot of reality at the end of the day. I, I've been for some vacancies or some jobs and stuff like that, and um, I've had to be overly qualified. And the person tell me, oh, I don't know if you're going to stay because you're a bit too smart and all that. Oh man, that is something you, I, I I just can't get my head around. I've got to tell. And now, do you think more needs to be done to encourage people from, say, a Bain background who are thinking about getting into our trade? And what would your advice be to them? My advice would be to them is that. I've never had a super bad experience which made me say to myself, I'm going to put down the tools. Or I'm not going to do this industry ever again. And I've been in the industry coming up to nearly 17 years now. So I've never had that direct experience. So I wouldn't say be put off by some of the social media things and the things that you're bound to see within life. Don't. You have to work it out from your own experience. And as communities from Bain, from um, different ethnicities, I would definitely say, that having that core foundation set up within, we can um, provide uh, work, we can provide a system which works for you guys, which is tailor-made just for us to be able to grow as a business, to be able to show people the steps and not just take them just to college, but to get them employment and to get them out on the road and get a van and just that type of setup because everybody needs it, you know, like, but people don't need to frown upon it when it does come out because if people are trying to help their community, their community lives or or, or resides in London or whatever, that place is going to reap the profits from it. It's just simple. Everyone, yeah. that means everyone will reap the profits from it. It's, it's, it's simple business, but it's something which business doesn't need to conflict with um, people's personal feelings. There's no personal feelings in business. It's just business. Jason, you've put it very eloquently today. Uh, before you go, tell us what you're up to and uh, where are you? So I'm currently now just hanging out the window at a job, speaking to you in uh, central hanging London. Yeah, it's the best signal for some reason. <laughs> but it's, um, yeah, so we've got a few projects going on in central with some renovations. I've started to work with a few um, designers and stuff like that. So some cool really cool ideas coming out so i'm pleased with that and it's just it's going well at the moment so i can't complain and i'm just hoping for everybody else that everything else is sorting themselves out and we're getting ourselves back on our feet and everyone's just fitting healthy at the end of the day because life is more important than this work what we're doing uh, too right jason listen mate you're you are a shining light son uh, no doubt about it and thank you so much for sparing some time to be on the clive holland show have a great rest of the day no worries. Thank you, Clive. And you too. That's Jason there, a.k.a. at Mr. London Plumber. The Clive Holland Show on Fix Radio. You're listening to The Clive Holland Show with me, Clive Holland, and today's talk topic is surrounding diversity on site and what can be done to try and address it within the industry. We're now going to be talking to Uma Mansour, the CEO of Construction Helpline, about what the company are doing to try and get on top of this issue and what else can be done in our industry as well. Uma, thank you so much for joining us on the Clive Holland Show. How are you? 
Thanks, Clive. I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm very well, sir. Now, uh, first off, how much of an issue do you think the lack of diversity in our trade really is? It's uh, chronic, I would say, massive. I, I can just give you a couple of numbers, and that will show us that what sort of what we're, what we're dealing here. Yeah. Yeah. In in terms of in terms of female, there's only twelve percent the makeup um, the, within the work, construction workforce. Yeah. And if we look at from the uh, Bain people perspective, it's only um, just about 7% that are That's in construction low. workforce. Yes. Which means that 93% of construction workforce is not Bain and 88% of the construction workforce is male. Wow. That, 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 they are stark numbers, I have to say. Um, now, in terms of the construction helpline or construction helpline, uh, what are you guys doing to support and encourage more diversity in the industry, obviously to improve those figures? Right. So from a, from a construction helpline perspective, we are one of the leading training companies in the UK. Um, we're trying to sort of support both sides, uh, women in construction and also uh, BAME people. Uh, we have partnered with uh, some of the uh, networks um, like BPEC, uh, Black People in Construction. Um, we're also uh, discussing with other networks as well to see that how we can support um, sort of individuals, workers from uh, BAME background to get into construction. One of the hurdles that majority of the people do find is having adequate training. Um, um, and that's what we are offering them free training uh, a month, um, five people with uh, BPEC and a number of other people that we put through on a regular basis within our courses and training sessions. Um, we are also in discussion with women in construction as well to offer them courses uh, to get um, more women into construction to and to make this industry um, women-friendly and also a BAME-friendly industry as well and not to be shown as, as the way number the numbers I've shown you. Now, the, as, as far as the industry is concerned as a whole, how can we help, help it become more inclusive, if you like? I think it's... It needs to start from just the talks to an actual actions, and it needs to come from the top top contractors and also the government. The way government offer its contracts to the industry as well. I think within that, if there are sort of things that we can put into place, that um, the companies, how many are offering um, employment to women, how many offering uh, and have been um, employment within them as well. I think making those numbers as one of the targets can help us achieve this. It isn't going to solve itself uh, immediately. It is something that's going to take its time. But I think a right approach towards this can help it. Um, it has to come from top organizations uh, and also from the government side as well, making it one of the one of the criteria to 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 sort of offer contracts to all the big um, developers. And I think highlighting it as you're doing um, as well, and, and one of the reasons we're doing it here at Fix Radio is it's exactly that to try and get the message out there. Correct. Yes. Yes. And I think this is where we have had our webinar as well um, the, the last week, and also we uh, what I'm trying to do is sort of try and portray this more and more into different forums and 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 highlight the the differences to see that it's it's about acknowledging it first and then doing something about it. And I, I also believe it will become uh, one of the uh, one of the say, attraction as well. At this moment, construction isn't one of the attractive industry for youngsters, for young people to come and join it. It's, uh, if we look at it uh, from a statistics perspective, the the Bain people, as as we say, that it's uh, it's one of the second last industries that they would like to choose and come into, just purely what they hear about it and how 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 uh, sort of i'd say uh, male dominated and also non-bane dominated industry is but listen you're doing a great job again that message out there Uma, and uh, hopefully things will change and actions will speak louder than words uh Uma, thank you so much yes. for joining us on the clive Fullen show and good luck with everything going forward and all power to you thanks clive thank you and thank you for, for uh, joining me today. Thank you. That's Uma Mansour there, the CEO of Construction Helpline. Fix Radio. Bish, bash, bosh. You're listening to The Clive Holland Show with me, Clive Holland, and today our talk topic is all about diversity on site. As we ask, 
what can be done to make our workplaces more inclusive. Only 14% of the construction industry is made up of women, with very few being in the business of bricklaying. Our next guest, however, is one of the very few female bricklayers we've got in this country, uh, while also being a TikTok superstar with over 100,000 followers. And her name is Darcy Richards. Darcy, thank you so much for joining us on the Clive Holland Show. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you guys? I'm very well, thank you very well. We're all good this end. Now, you've amassed a huge following on TikTok over the last year or so as one of the very few female bricklayers. What's that been like, that journey? Oh, it's been incredible. I had just started bricklaying um, around last July. And I decided after only a few months to start the TikTok up. And um, literally, it just took off overnight. And there was millions of people watching me just lay bricks and blocks. And people were just going crazy for it and absolutely loved it. So it's been amazing, like the support that I've got from other people. And I've met so many girls um, and also a lot of girls that have messaged me saying that that's what they want to get into and hopefully I've helped you know kind of convince them to get into the uh, industry so yeah it's been an incredible incredible journey I tell you what you, you've you done massive there then to to uh, get people encouraged to so, so it's doing its job that's for sure TikTok and, and a lot of social media obviously now a video you uploaded just yesterday detailed some of the horrific views about women on site which I'm, I'm crazy I'm actually talking about this in the 21st century uh, with someone saying to you that only men belonged in, in this industry, for those who haven't seen it, what was your response to that? Uh, I get quite a lot of comments like that on my videos. I, I get loads of people saying men don't, uh, women don't belong on site. This is a man's only job. You're too weak. You're too short. You can't do it. But my response to that is I am currently employed by two people. So I work for my dad and then I have, um, another boss as well so I, can't, I kind of work both jobs part time and if I can be employed by two people want me now then you know that just kind of proves it all really girls can do exactly what um, what men can do you know it is hard lifting on site but you build your strength in time and honestly um, I say this to girls everywhere if men can do it we can do it too yeah power all power to the ladies that's what I say uh, do you think though more needs to be done to encourage more women, and I know you're doing, you're playing your part to get into our trade. And what would your advice be to them to do exactly that and get into the trade with us? Um, I really think that it's it's hard for girls when they leave school because obviously then you go to college um, and you're going to go to college with a bunch of lads. There's not really very many girls that um, do like that are in these classes, so you're pretty much going to be one girl amongst all of the boys. So I would say just go to college and, you know, people are more than nice on site and people are more than, like, nice at college. Um, and if you really want that extra help, then your boss is still a boss and your college teacher is still your teacher, regardless if you're in a classroom full of boys. And if you need that extra help, then just ask because, you know, it's not. And there's no shame in asking if you need extra help. And, you know, if the boys are struggling, they'd ask for help too. So you just got to get amongst it and just get out there and do it. It's not as scary when you're on site and everybody is super lovely. And it's a really fun job because you can put the radio on, you can talk to your mates all day, you know, you can sing at the top of your lungs, you're in the middle of nowhere, and you know, you just kind of crack on, the days go quick. And it's a really, really great job to have. At the end of the day, you're going to look at something that you've built all yourself. It's a hands-on job. When the sun is shining, it's beautiful outside. Um, so, yeah, I'd say just girls go for it. It is, a, it is a great job. It's a great industry to get into. Well, you're a, a great advocate for our industry, Darcy, that's for sure. And for encouraging more women to join us, I think it's very, very important. Uh, tell us before, we, we've run out of time, sadly, but before we go, tell us where you are and what you're up to today. You're obviously laying bricks somewhere. I am in Norfolk, near Norwich at the moment, and I'm, we're working on two houses. We're in the trenches. We've got three cluster trench blocks to do, and then we're going on to concrete blocks. So we're in the footings today, which, you know, it's a bit muddy, but we don't mind a bit of mud sometimes. It's all right. <laughs> yeah, come on. It's, 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 a, it's a great job, you know, and, of course, you get to see the finished project start to finish, which is quite magnificent. You're artists, you guys. Uh, bricklayers for sure uh darcy it's been oh, fantastic so 
It's been fantastic talking to you. Thank you for joining us on the Clive Holland Show and have a great rest of the day. And all power to you. Girl power. Girl power. <laughs> Love it. Fix Radio, made for the trade. You're listening to the Clive Holland Show with me, Clive Holland, and our talk topic today is all about working later beyond retirement age. Oh, the dread. Uh, this is after Ironmongery Direct conducted a study which found that up to a fifth of tradespeople feel they'll have to work past state pension age, and 36% saying they'll have to work much longer than they'd like to. Uh, now, we're going to be joined by Jamie Crane from Ironmongery Direct to talk to us all about those statistics. Jamie, thank you so much for joining us on the Clive Follin Show. How are you? No worries. I'm all good, thank you. How are you, Clive? I'm very well, sir. Very well. Now, firstly... Can you tell us a little bit more about the study that you've uh, conducted on the pension age? Of course, yeah. So we surveyed 500 tradespeople from all across the UK, a variety of trades, from builders, plumbers, electricians, joiners, for example, um, a split between men and women and all ages from 18-year-olds all the way up to over 65. And we asked them questions about their plans for retirement, so how prepared they feel for finishing work, how confident they are they'll be able to finish when they want to, things like that. Um, and yeah, some, some really surprising results. Now, as a company and talking about those results, were you surprised by them? Yeah, there were some that stood out particularly. Um, so the, the scale of the problem was probably surprising. So as you said, one in five think they'll work beyond state retirement age. And it's a really interesting sort of more specific detail. So for example, men are three times more likely to work beyond 66 than trades women. Um, which, which stood out as a surprising finding. And it was also more of a problem in some trades than others. So, for example, painters and decorators were most likely to work beyond 66, um, whereas uh, bricklayers are most likely to retire earlier, earlier than that. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's sort of split by, by trade. Um, but, yeah, the scale of the problem was the most surprising thing. That's really interesting, actually. Uh, now, how much of a problem is this, do you think, for older people that are in our trades right now? Yeah, well... The actual age of retirement isn't necessarily a big worry. Um, if someone wants to carry on for enjoyment or routine purposes, um, it's the lack of financial preparation, which is the most sort of concerning finding. Um, so particularly um, those tradespeople who are approaching retirement age, so 55 or 64, for example, we found that a lot of them didn't have any retirement plan, so no personal or workplace pension, no real savings or investments. So that's the most concerning thing, that they're approaching that age and still have no sort of preparation. Um, but more positively, um, younger tradespeople appear to be getting prepared far earlier, um, maybe with the help of auto-enrolment schemes, for example, on pensions. Um, but it's good to see that the young generations are getting prepared for retirement earlier. Um, it's a good sign for the future. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, now, a lot of the people you spoke to are pretty pessimistic about retirement, even if they can retire before the state pension age. What do you think can be done to prevent that pessimism? Uh, well, as part of the campaign, we worked with financial experts um, to get advice for tradespeople, and I think this can really help. Um, so some of the main points they said were, it's never too late to start, um, so any contribution to a pension will attract tax relief, so it's always worth starting at some point because it will add up. Um, but it is definitely worth saving as early as possible if you can. Um, it just means that you won't have to put as much away each time later in your career, um, so it's less of an impact on you. Um, and it's really important to take advantage of workplace schemes if possible. So get enrolled on the workplace pension scheme and sort of try and save throughout your career and top up where you can if possible. Um, and employers can work to encourage their, their staff to get involved in these schemes and opt in. Um, if they're not automatically enrolled. Um, and finally, if you are self-employed as well, um, it's important to make sure you're a bit more active and so there won't be any auto-enrollment. So um, make your own regular savings. Well, I think that's a great study that you've conducted and you've given us some great information there as well, Jamie. Uh, thank you so much for joining us on the Clive Follin Show and have a great rest of the day. Well, thanks for having me, Clive, and you. That's Jamie Crane there from Ironmongery Direct who are talking all about those statistics on retirement age. Clive Holland on Fix Radio. You're listening to the Clive Holland Show with me, Clive Holland, and today our talk topic is all about the retirement age within our trades and whether you think you would be able to retire by the current state pension age. This is after a study by Ironmongery Direct that revealed one in five tradespeople 
feel I will have to work past the state pension age. To tell us a little bit more about this is the Culture of Employment Chair for the Construction Leadership Council, Alistair Reisner. Uh, Alistair, welcome to the Clive Holland Show. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, now then, firstly, what do you make of this study and were the results surprising to the CLC? I think, unfortunately, they're not a surprise. If we look at the whole of the UK, historically, there's been this massive problem about people not necessarily contributing either at all or enough into their pension uh, so that they've got comfort in retirement, a, a reasonable uh, source of funds as they go into retirement. So a while ago, the industry saw this as a problem. So back in the 80s, uh, the construction industry did set up uh, an industry pension scheme, um, which is sort of built into some of the collective agreements that employers and, and unions sign up to. But that's great for those people that are signed up to them. Unfortunately, I think this uh, survey that you're reporting on reflects our understanding of the situation. I think around maybe even 30 percent uh, of people in the industry have no form of pension planned. And that's terrible for them. Uh, you know, they, this is you know staring down the barrel of uh, going into retirement with very little resource in that retirement. So I do think that people think like, oh, it's miles away, it's years ahead. Yeah, I don't need to worry about it. Then all of a sudden, it's on top of them. Well, I'll hold my hand up. I was one of those people when I was early on in my career. I had the option. You know, my my company that I worked for at the time would have put money in. I could have put money in, but I thought, oh, you know, that sounds like a bit of a faff. Sounds like I'll not have the money for, to go out at the weekend. So I chose not to do it. And I bitterly regret that now I've got a much steeper mountain to climb because of not taking that decision back when I was young. And yes, it would have been a small amount out of my pay packet every week, but it would have meant that I was starting on that journey earlier. Very true. Now, quite a few tradespeople are self-employed. Do you think that plays a part in the stats? Clearly, the industry operates around a model where there is a very large number of our employees that are self-employed. And there are some real benefits for that for employers. But we also need to recognize there are some real costs that people should go into that with their eyes open. So if you are self-employed, it's not a free ride. It's not a free lunch. You still do have to be looking after the, the your what you're going to do in terms of pension going forward. And almost when you're employed by an employer, you can kind of outsource some of those problems to them. They'll manage the process. You still have to make your payments into it along with the employer. But as a self-employed individual, there's much more sort of onus on you to look after your own future. And unfortunately, I think that's where the problem arises is a lot of people are doing what I did and just going too much trouble. I'm not going to do that. And only realizing it's a problem when they come towards the end of their career and stare down the barrel of, well, hang on, where's my money going to come from? Uh, now, should the government be doing more to make sure our tradespeople don't feel pressured into extending past the state pension age? So there's a, something that the government has historically done, which is to build in auto-enrolment. Um, so that means that more people who historically just went, I can't be bothered, get a regular reminder that they should be bothered. Um, I think for those people that are working now, the the government can only do so much. Um, but I think it's clear that we shouldn't be wanting people to just go on and on and on because they can't afford to retire. That's a terrible situation for anyone to find themselves in. So it's it's not clear what the government can do other than try and encourage and cajole and use the policies that they do have to push people towards contributing to their pension. Um, but there is there is also a sort of a, a responsibility on employers where these people are employed. You know, it's that moral responsibility after looking after the people that have looked after you in terms of working for your business. And to be blunt, there is a responsibility on the individual. It's not good enough to just say, oh, that sounds like too much of a problem. I'll put it off to another day. It is the kind of thing that you will always regret that decision later on in life. So it's about preparing for your future now. Uh, that's a good point. Uh, now, what is the best way for our industry to ensure they can enjoy retirement without having to worry about having to work longer? So I think the first thing is, it goes back to that point about employers investing in their staff. It shouldn't be seen as a cost that you're investing in your staff's pensions, where, where people are directly employed. That should be seen as something that's a benefit that means you're a more attractive employer to people. Because let's face it, there is a race for talent 
in the industry at the moment. Everyone's talking at the minute about materials availability being a big problem. I'm sure a lot of your listeners are facing that, but they're also facing big problems getting hold of enough good people to do the job. So if you're able to offer a good quality pension, that's something that you should be promoting and saying, look, I'm I'm looking after you. Um, So I think that's the big thing that employers can do. For individuals, I think it's just sort of being curious, checking the facts for yourself, going out there and looking at, um, you know, what what will my future look like when I reach that retirement age? Am I, as it currently stands, going to have to work past retirement age? And do I want that? Um, And then, as I say, it is about then making that provision for the future. I think for organisations like the Construction Leadership Council that I work with, I think it's for us to make sure that we're working with the government to, to make this as easy as possible, to get that information into people's hands, to, to ensure that people understand what uh, they can do and where policies are, are in place, try and make sure that the government policy does encourage this. I think, look, it, it's in the government's interests to solve this problem as well, because what they don't want is a huge number of people facing a very difficult retirement, because ultimately that will land back with the government in one way or another. Um, so there's, there's things that the whole industry can do, but in essence, it does start with companies and the individual making sure they're doing what morally there's a bit of a responsibility to do. Yeah, I mean, I'm a massive advocate of, of trying to attract uh, you know new blood into our industry. The problem is, uh, you've got it in a nutshell there, is you say that a, a company becomes attractive because they're offering a pension pack. The thing is, if you go back to when you were younger, you looked at that pension pack and thought, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going down the pub. How do we change that? How do we change that mentality? And look, it's difficult because, you know, we all remember being that age and this is the last thing that you're thinking about. Even, you know, it, it wasn't I lacked opportunity to be told I should be saving for pension. Everyone, whether it was the older people in the organization, whether it was the sort of the corporate bit of the business, were saying you should do this. But, you know, young people are young people. So I think it's just what more can we do to just gently cajole you know there's only so much you can do to change people's minds but it's just reminding people that this is this is important it's not something that's going to get easier the longer you leave it so even stuff like we're doing today having conversations about this um just puts it in people's minds that you know maybe i should be saving for the future maybe maybe that is important if i want a comfortable retirement Uh, well alistair i've got to say uh some great information uh there for us Uh, thank you for joining us on the clive fallon show and enjoy the rest of your day thanks clive take care that's alistair reisner uh the employment chair for the construction leadership council um it's interesting that's for sure the clive holland show on fixed radio you're listening to clive holland on the clive holland show on fixed radio and we're talking serious stuff today pensions are you prepared have you been good and planned ahead or is it something you don't really want to think about because it's too far in the distance or do you think you're going to have to work beyond your pension age now this is off the back of a study by ironmongery direct who found a fifth of tradespeople saying they'll have to work past the state pension age and now with his thoughts and on the line we've got dave aka dave the carpenter dave lad how are you and are you prepared i am very very well thank you and am i prepared now i shouldn't be laughing son there's no two ways about it so so tell us why you're not prepared well i'm i'm, I'm 35 years of age um, I haven't got a pension in place. I don't intend on having a pension in place. I really, 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 really enjoy my job. So I, I, you might call me delusional or something like that, but I plan on working forever. Right up until you're making <laughs> your own casket, Dave. Yeah, well, the plan is that I, I, I'll hopefully have someone working for me who can make my casket for me. I love your honesty, son. I really do. Listen, he's got a serious <laughs> note, this has Dave, right? This is very, very serious. Planning ahead or stay in bed, as I say. Um, do do yeah, we have pensions yeah. in place for that future? The, the, the fact that you get to an age where you think, oh, my knees are creaking, you know, uh, my hands don't work as well as they used to, but I ain't got nothing to fall back on. Well, me and my wife, we just bought our first house. Joking apart now. Uh, we just bought our first house. Um, took us a while to get there, but they say once you're on the ladder, it's easier to um, to progress. So the plan is to potentially get a, a few properties, 
you know, as, as rental properties, and yeah. that is going to form the basis of my pension. So we're just in the process of going through all the rigmarole with solicitors. Um, everything's in place. So we'll hopefully have our first house in the next couple of months. And then following on from that is to try and get a couple more uh, to invest my money into bricks the property because yeah. bricks and mortar, you'll, you'll, you'll never lose it in bricks and mortar, will you? Uh, That's very true. Uh, it's, it's a peak time at the minute, though. It's a peak time at the minute, though, Dave. 9.7% increase in the last few months alone on property. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, once you're on that ladder, you're fine. Yeah, I think it's yeah. Important. So there was, that, there was that crash in 2008, wasn't there, where a lot of people lost a lot of money in pensions. And it kind of, it kind of, um, it, it puts this, 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 this scare tactic on you and you're just a bit like, oh, you know, is it worth it? Is it worth plowing all your money into that and just thinking to yourself it could go it could go belly up at any yeah. any any given moment especially with the current uncertainty in, in the current climate there's, there's no guarantee is there but listen mate that's that's planning that is your planning that you're definitely doing that if you're going to get into property and i'm going to wish you all the best of luck in that uh, as well because um, obviously there's a lot of effort goes into it but once you're on that road uh, and you're flipping them or you're renting them, it makes for a great pension. No two ways about it. Uh, Dave, it's yeah, always absolutely. great to talk to you, son. Um, thanks for being on the Clive Follin Show. But before you go, uh, where are you and what are you up to? I am in Crewe, and I am building a false chimney, house of television, and then next to it, they're having an alcove unit. Well, mate, it's always, as I say, great to talk to you. Thanks for coming on the show, and I'm sure you are going to be prepared anyway. Uh, that's Dave there, uh, a.k.a. Dave the Carpenter. Fix Radio. Bish, bash, bosh. You're listening to The Clive Holland Show with me, Clive Holland, and today we're talking animals on site, and we want to hear your best stories and experiences of it. There is, however, a more serious side to this, as sometimes building sites can be home to a lot of different species of animal that often have to relocate. And if you find an animal on site or at work, it's not always easy to know what to do. Now, as you know, we are here to serve our trades with as much valuable info as possible. So, with that in mind, we're now joined by someone who can give us an insight into all of that. It's ecologist and author Hugh Warwick. Thank Hugh for joining us today on the Clive Holland Show. How are you? Ah, thanks so much. Yeah, I'm doing all right, actually. Yes, and and uh, you know, this is one of these worlds where actually I need as much help from you guys as, as, as you would from us because you know all the stuff I don't know and I know some of the stuff you don't know. So this is a good exchange. So first of all then, Hugh, um, what would we do or what should we do if we find an animal on a building site? Okay, this, I've been thinking about this. And it's, you've got to consider most wildlife has what's known as a fight or flight response. Okay, so if you approach most animals, they're going to do one or two things. They're either going to try and bite you or they're going to try and run or fly away. And so for most wildlife, again, if they are able to, they will tend to leave where they are if they are threatened. And so that means that on a, you know, a disturbance on a building site will, will, will mean a lot of the nature and other, even domestic animals, will simply leave. So what we're looking at is the ones that can't. And that means then you've got to consider the things, you know, the animals which are maybe nesting, whether, they, whether it's a fox uh, uh, you know, with her cubs or, or whether it's, it's you know, a hedgehog or something like that. You know, you've got these species, animals, which aren't able to actually move or that they're trapped. And each of these really requires a different response. And, um, and that sort of, it, it also requires that the, the uh, people working on site have got, uh, can take a moment to be calm. You know, if they're being driven and being rushed to do X, Y, and Z as quickly as possible, it means that shortcuts will be taken and animals will get hurt. Whereas if they're given the space, to be able to be a little more careful about these things, then then animals, uh, domestic or, or, or wild, can actually be given a be better chance of escaping. Now, how are animals that we find on building sites protected in the eyes of the law currently? Are they across the board, or is it just certain uh, animals? So there is a there is a, a wildlife and countryside act, and 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 they keep promising us that it's going to be uh, remodelled and redrawn and redrafted and everything, and um. On this, there are a number of different schedules on this. And basically, these are levels of protection. So you've got certain animals, which, um, like bats, for example, like badgers, like great-crested newts, which you know, if you find these on site, then 
you actually need to involve somebody who's licensed to move them because these are animals which are, are, are protected, some of which are very fragile, um, and also some of which, I mean, like, you know, you may look at the bats and go, well, there's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, bats can carry rabies. You know, you, there is good reason not to go gung-ho into this sort of thing. And then there's a whole bunch of other species which don't have that same sort of level of protection. Uh, and um, uh, you know, my speciality is the hedgehog. And I've been working with uh, developers now for nearly three years. Well, rather, I've been working on a petition on the change.org site, change.org slash save our hedgehog. And in that, what I've been doing is, is initially trying to get uh, all new housing developments to come with hedgehog highways in place, little holes in the fence built in when the new housing estate goes up, because this will mean hedgehogs can move from garden to garden. But it's also the first step in a bigger battle, which is to get the uh, legislation changed so that when a developer moves into a site, they actually have to check and remove hedgehogs as well as they're supposed to check and remove badgers and bats and dormice and newts and all of the more protected species. So yes, I'm, I, mean, I have been, been having a long-running campaign with you guys. My petition is nearly at a million signatures. I think we're at 985,000 right now. So um, and any more would be great. But so, yeah, it, it depends on, on which species it is. Some of which, yes, you must get a licensed operative in to come and help, help you with it. Some of it, if it's a hedgehog and it's in threat of being squashed, you simply pick it up carefully and move it outside the site. So there are organisations out there that, if anybody's unsure, we can contact for help and advice? Absolutely. And so, I mean, there's, I would start with, I mean, the RSPCA has a central number. They will be able to give you a, a guide on this. Um, if you find, and this is another part, Sometimes, through no fault of people working on site, um, yeah, they may find an injured animal. It may be injured, nothing to do with the building work going on. And then there are wildlife hospitals all over the country, people who've dedicated their lives to taking in wildlife. And they will be able to assist with this. Um, again, the RSPCA has a few of them, but the independent ones scattered across the country uh, are also available. And uh, actually, the British Hedgehog Preservation Society, I'm a spokesperson for them, and they are um, they're fantastic, and they have a, a, uh, a list of around 600 different hedgehog rescues around the country. But many of those hedgehog rescues will also take in other wildlife too, or will know somebody who can. So you know, if, you, if you suddenly disturb a, um, a nest of hedgehogs or, or even um, cub, fox cubs, uh, you know, they will be able to, to guide you towards a rescue center that will be able to help you uh, find the best way and get an expert to come in and do it. Move the animals safely. Uh, but again, you, it comes back. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, carry on, carry on, you. And I was going to say, but it, it comes back to um, the amount of pressure put on uh, uh, the men and women actually working on the site. And, and this is something which I've, you know, I've noticed this, and it's changed, I feel, over time, that people are being given more space to work, as it were. There is less of a drive. But when there is that drive to finish the job at whatever cost, then there is less time to be able to consider other wildlife. Uh, so that's real valuable information you've given to us there, you. Now, before we go, because we've run out of time, sadly, but your speciality, as you say, is hedgehogs. But I hear you're the world's only hedgehog stand-up comic. Is that true? Well, I think so. I mean, I, I, I'm not, I'm not, I haven't put out a challenge to the globe yet that is there anybody else out there? But I, I don't know if you come across a comedian called Robin Inns. Uh, he does a lot of stuff on Radio 4. And um, when allowed to travel the country, uh, you're doing clubs, or, you know, because there's 100 or more gigs a year. Uh, he's a fantastic comic. And, um, and he runs a thing in London uh, called Mind Lessons and Carols for Godless Folk. Uh, um, and uh, so I managed to do this a few times. So I've been up on stage. I've been paid money to be more terrified than I've ever been in my entire life, standing in front of 500 people. Uh, I'm talking about hedgehogs. And, and it, it's filthy and really, really, really inappropriate and rude. And nothing that we can broadcast <laughs> on radio right now. I love it. I absolutely love it. So hopefully we'll look out for you appearing on stage uh, at a club near you. Uh, 
Hugh, thank you so much for joining us on the Clive Holland Show. Very important info you've given us there. Have a great rest of the day. That's a pleasure. Thank you. Clive Holland on Fix Radio. You're listening to Clive Holland on the Clive Holland Show on Fix Radio. And today we're talking all about animals found on site. Have you ever discovered an animal endangered or otherwise, or pets that generally get under your feet? Maybe you've had a job halted purely because there are animals on site that may have been endangered. Or you may might have had some funny stories we got our good friend Richie on the line, a.k.a. the Blonde Bricky. Uh, Richie, tell us uh, your story. What's happening, Clive? Yeah, so before before I started on the building site, uh, I used to do... I used to do, like, barn conversions, like old farm farm building converted into houses. Basically, started the job. Before anything started, it was a barn. It was a, a livestock barn, and we'd, we'd start the work. We'd start, you know, stripping out all the old stuff. Uh, but every morning, every morning, there'd be a bit of livestock in the barn. So we'd come in every morning and there would be a cow, or there would be a sheep, or there would be, on some occasions there was horses. We didn't know whether the, the, the farmer was just opening the gate and met them in. And this happened for months and months, this happened. Even, even when they were, they were fitting kitchens, we would come in and there would be, there'd be livestock. So every morning, it was just a matter of, you know, more the livestock out, out, the, out of these buildings. <laughs> and, and whatever they've left behind as well, I suppose. <laughs> um, exactly, exactly. The droppings, etc. cetera. Uh, and using up a lot of your time uh, before you can even get started. Uh, Richie, uh, tell us well, where you are today, what you're up to, and is the weather good? The weather has been outstanding for the last couple of days. It's a bit cold up today, but you can't you can only hope for the best. But yeah, we're, exactly, getting on, yeah. we're getting on the thing. So where are you? Whereabouts are you and what are you doing? Yeah, we're just, we're starting a new project. Uh, we're just doing underbuilds at the moment. Uh, we're in sunny, sunny Stirling. Brilliant, mate. Hey, listen, Richie, it's always great to talk to you, man. Uh, thank you so much uh, for your story and uh, we'll talk to you again soon, hopefully, in the very near future. No problem, Clive. The Clive Holland Show on Fix Radio. You're listening to Clive Holland on the Clive Holland Show on Fix Radio. And today the talk topic is all about animals, the ones you find on site, not the ones you work with. Now on the line, we've got Dan, a.k.a. Job and Not Podcast. Dan, tell us your story. Clive, how are you? I'm very well, sir. Very well indeed. How are you? Excellent. I'm all the best for you and your beautiful voice. <laughs> you sweet talker. Only your wife says that, doesn't she, normally? <laughs> Always. Well, yeah, no, um, my two stories both revolve around dogs. I mean, I think dogs are everyone's favourite pet, I would imagine. Um, the first one, I was for a lovely old cat, and you have a Staffordshire Terrier. And I swear to God, the Staffordshire Terrier wanted to be a joiner. Because as soon as I put any of the tools down that I was using, he was trying to pick them up. He was trying to eat the sawdust. If you dropped an off course, he was trying to put it in a cupboard. It was the most amazing scenario. This dog literally just wanted to be involved. If you got in a cupboard, he'd be in the cupboard with you. Well, obviously, he's a big staffy ball, and he's just bumping into you everywhere. He was a brilliant dog. But I'd probably say the better of the story is the second one. Um, I was working with an old chap, John at the time, and then we'd taken a job on uh, to fit some walnut worktops for a customer. Um, and they were struggling to find someone to do this job, funny enough. So we said, oh, yeah, we'll take it on. And, and John kind of knew the customer in a roundabout way. And he's like, oh, I've got this boxer dog, and he's, he's all right, he's armless. We don't like locking him in, and they were having some work done in the garden, and I don't think it was too secure. So he just said, oh, could you keep an eye on him? So I was like, yeah, that's fine, that's fine. And John was a bit raised eyebrows, thinking, oh, I don't really want to look after a dog all day. But anyway, we carried on with the job, but this dog was just a bit young, and it was jumping up here, and he's trying to do the work, and then he's trying to get in the... Honestly, I was in the cupboard, and he's in the cupboard with me. He's licking his face. <laughs> I just said, oh, we're going to have to lock, we're going to have to lock him away. The customer said, just put him in the living room. That'll be all right. The dog in the living room. But now I've got the grand living room. Really nice house, you know. Brand new carpet, brand new settee. Just looks fantastic. And within a couple of minutes, the dog's bang up in the window, and he's barking. I'm like, oh, God, this is a nightmare. The dog's jumping in the window, knocking everything over. He's like, oh, well, you know, he'll be all right. He's Young dog into you, but you're okay. We carried on putting these walnut works. That was a hot day. The glue's going off early. It's a bit of a tricky job. I turned around, I looked in the living room, and the dog had pooed everywhere. Oh. And I don't mean a bit everywhere, I mean his diarrhea, 
everywhere. There's new carpets, new settees. And when I mean he's ran around everywhere like it's a plaything, he's rolling oh, around no. in it. This living room is plastered in dog crap. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so I've stood there gone, oh no. And the old chat with me, John, who's got no filter anyway, is crying, laughing, doubled over laughing. He's, he's generally nearly pooed himself. He's laughing that much because <laughs> he knows I've locked the box the dog in the living room and it's wrecked living room. I open wow. the door, you can just imagine this, mate, the smile the dog's trying to get out, you try and lock him in. I had, the, I had the lovely pleasure of ringing the customer and explaining wow. how I've got the dog in the living room and he just ruined it. And there was no two ways about it. When I say ruined, I mean, carpet had to go, settees had to go, no. <laughs> get the claim on the insurance for the mess. <laughs> wow. Oh, man, that dog obviously was was uh, tearing round as well and running in it and taking it everywhere. That's terrible. Oh, literally. Like, <laughs> I, 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 it, was, it was a little bit before, like, good camera phones, and I don't think I took pictures because I was a bit embarrassed and a bit, you know, I was a bit young at the time. I was just a little in shock, too. I've got to explain to a customer that the, the dog's ruined the living room. But if I, I wish now, with a bit of confidence, that I've gone and I took pictures because the, the sight far outweighs the explanation. It was, yeah, mate, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm picturing it. Not dead Fred with Rick Mayo. Yes. And he just gets the old dog poo and jumps around dog poo. Yeah. Dog poo and yeah. All the sets. Yeah, just imagine that, but dog footprints instead. <laughs> <laughs> mate, I'll tell you what, I, I, that, that is going to stay with me now for ages. Thanks for that. Uh, where are yeah, you today, Dan? Where are you today? What are you up to? Oh, uh, luckily or unluckily today, mate, I'm doing paperwork or office type work. So I'm not on the tools today, but I'll, I'll pause on the work as I was because I'm, I'm looking at websites and code and things that I haven't really got a clue about. So I spend a lot of time on YouTube and Google. <laughs> yeah. Well, mate, uh, no, no, uh, no pets keeping you at bay today. Uh, hopefully, um, <laughs> it's always good to talk to you. Uh, thank you so much for joining us on the Clive Holland Show. No, 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 not always pleasure, Clive. You know where I am. If you need me in the future, good man. That's Dan there, aka the Job and Not Podcast. Fix Radio. Bish, bash, bosh. Thank so much for listening to my podcast. It means the world to me. I hope you enjoyed it and picked up some excellent info from my brilliant guests and fellow colleagues of our industry. Remember, you can listen to me Monday through Thursday, 2 till 4pm on DAB in London and Manchester via the Fix Radio app and at fixradio.co.uk. And oh yeah, ask your smart speaker to play Fix Radio. Come join the fun all day, every day at Fix Radio. Well, that's it from me for now. If I don't see you through the week, I'll see you through the hole in my helmet. Ta-ra! The Clive Holland Show with Tradeify, the job management software to help get your business on track. Make a life, not just a living. Try the free 14-day trial. Download the Tradeify app today. Fix Radio.